Welcome to episode six of Speak Better. I'm Rebecca Lindquist, also known as Lindquist the Linguist. And what we've been talking about in this podcast is how to improve your speech, whether you're a native or a non-native speaker of American English, and whether you want to do public speaking or you simply are concerned about how you show up, whether you feel that it's shyness or you feel that it's just a challenge in certain scenarios or with certain people, we all have different challenges around our speech. And for some people, it can be grammatical, vocabulary-related, confidence-related, practice-related, all kinds of things that we'll be talking about periodically throughout these podcasts. Today, I'd like to focus specifically on accent, which we talked about not in the last podcast, number five was on voice, but the one prior was about deciding whether it matters, whether you have an accent or not. And to some people, it matters, and to other people, changing that accent doesn't matter. I should clarify again that everyone has an accent. It's just a matter of whether the one you have serves you. What I'd like to talk more specifically about today, though, is the idea of changing the accent improving it in in some regard people think of it as improving it but also changing it because what you think of as an improvement may bother someone else in your life and that can certainly happen we have lots of points of resistance they can be within us and they can be within other people so for example your children or your spouse or your mother or someone else in your life may disapprove of you changing your speech for whatever reason at work your boss or someone you work with may have challenges or issues around it sometimes people who think they know you well will not like it when you change something so deep within yourself in their view or it could be someone wants to compete against you for a promotion and they feel threatened or a family member feels distant from you there's so many scenarios I would just caution you to be aware of this, and if you truly buy into changing your speech, then you need to find a way to deal with that situation for yourself, because it's really about you and what you want to do, and if you want to be successful, you don't want to waste your time investing all your energy in something if you're going to decide not to do it later because of someone else. So you want to make sure that you know what you're up against, and of course we have points of resistance within ourselves. We talked about identity. But there can be other areas, too. We don't think we can do it. It's too much work. We're not sure it's working, all those kinds of things. So you need to set yourself up for success. And that's what I want to talk about in this podcast is what can you do if you decide, hey, I'm going to change my accent. I'm going to change my dialect. How do you go about doing that? The first thing we talked about earlier was you have to do recordings. And I strongly recommend this for a couple reasons. We talked earlier about the value of listening back to your voice, but also to keep yourself accountable. If you don't do something consistent, it's hard to stick with it. And if you listen to the recordings and you hear improvement over time, it's very motivational. You hear that you're doing better and you're like, wow, okay. So that's the reason to record is to give yourself that kind of feedback. The other thing is to find out what your habits and patterns are, you need to be consistent too. If you randomly, we talked about this before, try to do everything or try to change everything, it's really frustrating because you just don't know if you're improving or not. So the first place to start I often recommend for people is vowels. Why do we recommend vowels? And I think you'll hear this from any accent coach or dialect coach. We have to work on those vowels. Why? Because... Vowels aren't just letters. You know, many people think it's A-E-I-O-U, we have five vowels, sometimes Y. We were told that in grammar school in the U.S. 
The challenge is that we actually have 23 different sounds that American English speakers use in the neutral American accent. And by neutral, I'm talking about maybe the Midwest, uh, maybe newscasters, maybe sort of a general overall American accent. Of course, it changes regionally, but the kind of accent you'd hear on television or that you'd hear in a podcast or on you know, some type of show that you watch, typically uh, a neutral American accent, one that's clear and that most people in the country understand, you're going to hear all these variations. There are long and short E's, A's, there's a long ah and a schwa sound, there are diphthongs, there's R-colored vowels, there are way more than five sounds. I count 23. The idea is that if you're using a phonetic dictionary, and we talked about this earlier, an IPA or International Phonetic Alphabet Dictionary, which is often a Longman or a Cambridge or an Oxford, the American version. You can use an online one. You can use a phone one. It really doesn't matter if it's an app or if it's a true dictionary. But the idea is you need to learn phonetics. There is no other way. And phonetics can be challenging. It's not that you have to write in it all the time, but you have to be able to recognize, is it a schwa or a long ah? Is it a long e or a short e by looking at the word? And we talked earlier about word stress a bit. We'll delve into this more later. But there are little marks on top and on the bottom, just a little tick mark that tells you where to stress words. So if you speak a language where there are stress marks on words, like French or Spanish or Italian, for example, you're not going to have that in American English, as we know, in spelling, but you will have it in the phonetic dictionary. So you look a word up in the dictionary and bingo, there it is. It tells you where to stress the word and what vowel to use. So that's really key, really an important tool. And then from there, you've got the recordings, you've got the phonetics. You have to know what your habits and patterns are. And this is, as a coach, I think the value that I provided was telling people, this is what I hear. An example would be live and leave. Where will he live when he leaves? If you record yourself saying that, and it sounds like, where will he live when he lives? Or where will he leave when he leaves? And you really can't hear the difference between those two things. That's an area to focus on. The reason is clarity. If you're not able to distinguish things that American English speakers distinguish, then you're never going to be clear. People are going to hear when you violate those rules, and it can be a credibility buster, a big one. And knowing that there is a difference is the first step, but also working with your tongue movement, your ability to control it. And that's why I gave you that sentence just now. And you can do a lot of these minimal pairs, we call them. What we mean by a minimal pair is in the word live and the word leave, the L at the beginning is the same, and the V sound at the end is the same. Now notice I'm not talking about spelling here. So it's not about the E and the A, and it's not about the letter I. It's about the sound, E and I. So in the word leave, like I'm leaving to go to the store, leave, it's a long E. It's held for a fairly long period of time for sure, but it's also made a little differently in the mouth. E, the tongue doesn't do much. It's in the front. Most languages of the world have an E sound. The challenge is you may have one E sound in your first language, which means there is no distinguish be between no distinguishing between a long e and a short e so you're not worried about that but in american english we definitely distinguish because the word live like i live in a house is different than the word leave i leave to go to the movie so live and leave need to sound quite different and if you say live and you end up with leave you need to figure out how to shorten that vowel and how to do it in a way that feels comfortable to you. You might be able to do it by exaggerating and really tensing up your throat, and that's not going to serve you long term. 
it may be a segue. You may have to do that in the beginning, and then down the road you can transition to saying it in a way that's more comfortable for you. But the idea is that when you say live, you may have to retract your tongue a bit from the root of the tongue, which is way, way in the back. And our tongue has different parts. We have a blade, and we have the root, and we have the dorsum, and we have the tip. And you have to learn how to engineer your tongue around, you know, how to move it, how to create sounds by perhaps learning to move your tongue differently. So that's where that vowel movement and the minimal pair exercises come in. You have to master that first. We talked about order, and probably in every podcast I'll mention order, because you need to do things in a certain sequence in order to get a good result. If you don't work on vowels and you rush into word stress or consonants or public speaking or something else, you're always going to have to come back to it, and it's always going to be a credibility buster. So really, really work on that first. And then once you've got your vowels to the point where people understand which word you're saying, you still have an accent for sure, but vowels are a big part of clarity. So once you've mastered that to an extent, at least you know what the vowels are, you can read phonetics, you know what your habits and patterns are, and you're working on it. I'm not saying you've got to be perfect. Not about perfection. It's about working on it, knowing what it is. Once you're there, you can start adding consonants. And when I do coaching, I usually add consonants about four to five weeks in. We don't lead with it. And the reason we don't lead with it is you have to really internalize vowels and understand them before you hit consonants, regardless of your first language. And then once you hit consonants, you're going to see a whole lot more granularity, in a sense, a lot of subtlety and nuance. So there are sounds in... American English that exist in other languages, like a P or a K sound, for example. There are many languages that have a P and a K sound, but not all of them have this plosive P, K quality with breath. And this is where tools like a tissue, a common Kleenex, you know, just a paper tissue, not a paper towel, not something thick, because you don't want to practice pushing with your vocal folds, but just a very thin sheet, not of paper, but of tissue. And you want to take that and separate it out if it's two or three layers. Often they are because that's better for your nose. But we're not talking about the nose. We're wanting to exhale breath and have the tissue move. And it should move freely when you say t or p or k. Those are the three plosive sounds in English. So an example would be the word top or test or pick, like pick it out. Do you hear how the P, the K, and the T sounds kind of pop? That's what we mean by a plosive sound. There's breath, but they're short and punchy. So if your P, T, K don't sound like that, you will probably be harder for people to understand. And it could also be related to your lip movement. So when we talk about muscle memory, you may need to learn, especially if your lips curl in, to, to roll them out. That is to flare them out. And there's a couple ways to do that. My favorite is to make a movement like a fish. I have videos on YouTube you can watch about the fish movement. But basically, you round your lips and you flare the lip out and you practice going in and out, almost like you're entertaining a small child by pretending to be a guppy or a goldfish. Make it fun. But the idea is if you do that every day, your lips will begin to flare. And then people ask me, well, when do I have to do that? And sadly, the answer is all the time. As American English speakers, we don't curl our lips in to make sounds. So if you think of like a p and a b sound, we can keep the lip out. We don't curl them in like you would in Spanish. In many dialects of Spanish, you would curl in on a p or a b sound. 
And I'll give you an example. The word Pedregal, which is a location in Cabo, my husband and I wanted to go there one time, and we were trying to get a taxi, and we were in Mexico. And my husband said, where is Pedregal? And the person looked at him like, what are you talking about? And we knew they had to know where this place was. I curled my lip in and said, Pedregal. And the person knew right away. Now, why is that? Well, I did some other things differently, sure, with the vowels. But the P in ped, and there's a D in there too, pedregal. I, I curled my lip in the entire time with that P so that it didn't have a plosive sound like pa. And when my husband said pedregal, people didn't hear the word the same way. So we were trying to pronounce it correctly in Spanish. The same is true, though, in reverse, if you're trying to learn English. And it doesn't have to be that you're a Spanish speaker. You could speak an Indian language. Many of the Indian languages also curl lips in. The idea is the lips have to flare out. The other challenge with this lip flaring out thing is that the lip has more than one muscle. It's called the orbicularis oris, and there are actually three muscles. So the challenge with that is you have to flare all three out, and that's why you got to practice doing it doesn't come naturally and it's not easy to do in the beginning you'll also see that your teeth show and this I find so funny culturally a lot of my clients said why is it that Americans are so obsessed with their teeth and I said what do you mean by that and they said well when you watch people on TV they're always showing their teeth off all the time and people are worried about making sure they're white bleaching them perfect teeth all this stuff and these people would tell me in their countries teeth weren't so important well I find it interesting who knows whether you know, the chicken and the egg thing, what came first. But one of the reasons that we do that, show our teeth so much, is we're flaring the lip out. We're not curling it in. So if you flare it out, you're going to see your teeth. And if they're yellow or marked up or not attractive or broken or whatever, people are going to be self-conscious about it. So that's probably part of, you know, the awareness around why Americans do that, why we care about our teeth, because we're showing them a lot. The idea is you kind of have to do that if you want to get the sounds clear. And that's just an example. There are other sounds where you're going to flare because you're not going to curl in at all. Even when you make an M, like when you say Mary, you're still going to keep the lip out. You're not going to curl in. You can make an M without curling in. So these are all examples of patterns. And you need to know what yours are, what your habits are, so you can change them. And that's where listening back will help you. Then you go back and revisit your vowels, and this time you add all the consonants. We have about 25 consonants, and once again, English is not a super phonetic language, meaning, yes, you can use phonetics, but the words are often spelled different than they sound. And that comes from different languages, like the PH is from Greek. When you say phone or phonetic, it's not spelled with an F, it's spelled with a PH. But there are other words like alcohol that come from Arabic and pajama that comes from an Indian language and all kinds of things like that. So you can't memorize all of it, but you can use a phonetic dictionary. That really becomes key. And then from here, you want to start working on endings on words. And so each time you add a layer, vowels consonants, endings. You have to keep revisiting what you already learned because as we know with language, it's not isolated. You can't just work on an ending without having other sounds in the word. If the R sound, for example, is difficult for you, you don't want to just isolate the R. You have to put it with different vowels and you have to put it after certain sounds like the PR and the TR and the DR might present different challenges for you. And we'll do a whole segment at some point, a whole episode or more on the R sound, especially the American R and how it's different from other R sounds and what to do about it. But you can learn all those things in isolation. At some point, you're going to have to put it together. 
So as you learn all these consonants, the 25, you have to go back and integrate that with the vowels. And when you do endings, like an ED or an S on a word, does it sound like an S or a Z? Does it sound like a T or a D? Is it soft or a hard D? We have both in American English, soft Ds and hard Ds. You got to know when to use them. You can learn that first. You can read about it somewhere. You can practice, but then you've got to integrate it. And after you do all that, you've got to do word stress. We talked lightly about it. We'll get deeply into who needs word stress and what to do about it. But you have to know which syllable to stress in a word. And the example I used earlier is the word development. And notice the vel is longer than the rest of the word. So it's not development, it's development. The O turns into a schwa in the middle of the word. So it's not develop, it's develop, up. A schwa, uh, sound. The schwa is the stomach punch sound, and it's the most common vowel in American English. In fact, it's our hesitation sound, uh, is a schwa sound. And after you learn word stress, that kind of ties in with vocabulary. And I encourage you, when you study word stress, to start working on vocabulary at the same time, is you, again, need to reintegrate that with everything that you do. So you have to come up with a practice where you're recording and you're listening for patterns. And then you're adding, lastly... And I stress strongly in terms of order, intonation comes last. You start to work on the musicality, the pacing, the cadence. And the reason for that is if you try to change it in the beginning, you're just copying somebody, right? If you just read something and follow someone, you're not really owning it. It's not you. It's not authentic. And it kind of exaggerates that challenge we all have that we want to sound real. We don't want to sound fabricated. So don't be fabricated. Try to own it. And the best way to own it is to start with vowels, add consonants and endings, and then add word stress and intonation. And the intonation is knowing when to go up, when to go down. We talked a little bit about going down for credibility and to be decisive. But you have to know, again, how you come across. You might already be doing some things right which is great, then you need to focus on different things. So you want to know what's going on with all that. The other thing to think about is something called reduction. And that's when we take words that are longer and make them shorter. We drop sounds. Now, in many languages of the world, Chinese is an example, you don't hear a strong ending from tonal, from Chinese speakers in particular. When they say a word, like a typical Chinese speaker, if they say an English word like went, it sounds more like went. And when, W-H-E-N, can sound like W-E-N-T if you drop the T on the end, on the end of the word. So what you have to do is make sure that you clearly enunciate those. When versus went. And shoe versus shoes. When you put that Z sound on the end of shoes, you make it plural. When you soften it or leave it off, we can't really tell if it's singular or a different word. So it's really important to end words strong. And it can make you sound more confident. And it's also just, again, part of the language. So we do need to work on elongating sounds, whether it's breath-related, whether it's loudness-related, whether it's awareness, whether it's grammatically knowing when to do it. All those components, it could be for you, could be more than one. But it's important to end words strong and emphatically. We need to hear the end of the word. And after you've sort of assimilated all of that, the, this concept of reduction is when you take a word like interesting, and instead of saying interesting, you get to drop something, but not the ending. We talked about that. Not the beginning, not the stressed syllable, but something unstressed in the middle. And notice in the word interesting, we can drop the part in the middle and say interesting. And you can also take a word like comfortable. Notice it's spelled comfortable, but it's pronounced comfortable. 
We have a lot of those in English. We have a lot of words that we compress, and especially when we have words that aren't necessarily so important, they're important as a function, but they're not important in meaning. Like, what are you going to do? Not what are you going to do, but what are you going to do? Why do we stress the do? That's that key content word. And the what are you going to, those are all the function words that lead up to it. So learning to compress or reduce words is really important too. And some people think of it as linking, linking words, like you have a vowel and you have a letter in front of it as being important. I find in working with people that the concept of reduction is more important and linking will happen on its own. As you hear sounds, they will naturally begin to link as long as you're not trying to exaggerate the ending points of every word that you are linking words when there's a vowel after them. And I often do this with endings. So if you have a word like wanted and then you put it, I wanted it, the D will link. And if you practice that, you'll get linking pretty quickly. So those are the concepts, the key ones. There are other things, but those are the primary ones. And then what you need to do is start assimilating it, start using it, and see what else happens in your recordings. If you're hearing that you're too breathy or you're not breathy enough or the words are too short or whatever, then you need to focus there. So that's the idea behind working on your own accent. You have to be systematic about it. You have to be consistent about it. You have to record, and you have to look for patterns and habits. And then to change it, you have to stick with it long term, and you have to cover all the areas we talked about today. I hope that was helpful for those of you that want to change your accent, and I look forward to our next podcast. 